So last week we saw how the Apostle Paul gave the church in Corinth a warning from Israel's history. God freed the the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, but instead of trusting God and living in faithful obedience, uh, they went running after other gods. They literally bowed down and worshipped man-made idols. Now, in 21st century Australia, most of us don't have the inclination to bow down to literal idols made of wood or stone. Uh, so last week we looked at other forms of idolatry. And idolatry is really when we put uh, other things above Jesus in our lives. It's when we get our priorities wrong. So instead of living for Jesus, uh, we live for all kinds of other reasons. Instead of dedicating our lives to Jesus, we dedicate our lives to uh, lots of other things. So for us, idolatry can be quite subtle. It's not always easy to spot. But in the ancient world, idolatry was in your face. It was woven into the very fabric of society, especially in the city of Corinth. In fact, idolatry was so pervasive that it even affected uh, what people ate, when and with whom. So the social life and social interactions of the whole city were in some way affected uh, and influenced by idolatry. So let's have a look at how that was. So there were two kinds of animal sacrifices that were made to the gods. Uh, There were uh, private sacrifices and public sacrifices. And in the ancient world, uh, an animal sacrifice was essentially a food sacrifice. So for a private uh, sacrifice, the animal would be divided into three parts. A token part would be burned on the altar to whatever god. Uh, Another part would be given to the priest for, for them to consume. And whatever was left, the worshipper would take that away and have a big party for their friends and family, often at home, normally at home, uh, sometimes in the temple itself. So the first question was this. Could Christians partake in these banquets when the animal had been offered in sacrifice to a pagan god? And this was an important question because if Christians uh, weren't able to participate, it would mean that they'd be virtually excluded from uh, the social circle of anyone outside of the church. And then you had public sacrifices, which were very similar. A token part, the animal would be burned on the altar, a portion would go to the priest, and the remainder would go to various uh, public officials, magistrates, and so on. And whatever was left over would be sold in the public markets. And so the Christians were thinking, what if we purchase some of this idol meat in the market? Are we allowed to eat it, or will it somehow contaminate us? So as we saw last week, Paul has already addressed, uh, already warned the Corinthians against idolatry in the sense of bowing down to idols. But as we can see, this whole issue of idolatry is much more complicated and pervasive in the city of Corinth. Uh, So the Corinthians were facing a dilemma. As Christians, how should they live in amongst this culture of rampant idolatry? They hadn't been given any specific instructions on this. Uh, They were confused and divided on the issue. Now, I think it's fair to say that we can't really relate to this particular issue. We're not uh, living in a culture where food is sacrificed to idols. Uh, And it would be very easy uh, to think that this teaching doesn't really have any bearing on our lives, but it does. Uh, 
because even though we're not dealing with this particular issue, food offered to idols, uh, there are other issues that prevent, present themselves about which we need to formulate a properly Christian response. Of course, that doesn't mean that every moral issue is a gray area. As Christians, we know that we're called to love God and we're called to love our neighbors. We're even called to love our enemies. We know that we're meant to be forgiving, honest, and generous. Uh, We know we're meant to honor marriage, to be faithful and committed. Uh, Most moral issues are pretty clear for Christians. Nevertheless, the Bible doesn't give us detailed instructions about every moral issue that we could possibly face. Let's take a, a relatively recent example in historical terms, the internet. The internet is a wonderful thing. Uh, But it also has a dark side, doesn't it? Through the internet, we can access violence, lewd and obscene uh, material and all kinds of uh, other unwholesome things. Now, obviously, we know there are certain things that we shouldn't be looking at online because they're degrading and damaging in the extreme. and, And we can make that argument from a biblical perspective. But the full Christian response to the internet obviously isn't set out in Scripture. Uh, In other words, what do we do about this? Well, we could refuse to own any device that has access to the internet, but most of us uh, couldn't work or function without it. Uh, So that measure would be extreme and impractical. Of course, most of us, whether Christian or not, would want to put in measures to ensure that our children can't access inappropriate material. And then there are other uh, specifically Christian responses or predominantly Christian responses. For example, uh, something like accountability software, that software that you install on all your devices so that a a close and trusted friend can see everything that you're viewing online and hold you accountable and you can do the same for them. Uh, That takes the Christian principles of mutual accountability, confession and honesty and applies them to what is a very modern issue. The Christian church has always had to formulate responses to a a changing moral and cultural landscape. That doesn't mean changing the morality of the church. That doesn't mean changing the morality of the church, but it does mean working out how to apply Christian principles to the situations that we face. Uh, So we can't necessarily identify with this particular issue that the Corinthians were facing, food, uh, sacrifice to idols. But we can identify with the process of discerning how to be distinctive within our culture. So at this point, it will be helpful to look at the way that the uh, Corinthians responded to the dilemma they were facing. And and, uh, broadly speaking, they were quite polarized. They tended to adopt one of two quite extreme positions. So on the one hand, you had the libertines, the more liberal members of the church, uh, and they were saying, it's fine. We have this new freedom in Christ. Uh, Eat whatever you like, do whatever you like. Uh, Don't worry about it. They were the ones who were saying, verse 23, we have the right to do anything. And then you had the legalists. They were saying, you must not eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. If you do, it will defile you, it will contaminate you. Uh, uh, They're basically saying, let's have nothing to do with these pagans. Let's cut ourselves off altogether. 
because of course in Corinth if you couldn't eat that meat you'd be excluded from the vast majority of social functions so imagine the difficulty in a church where you had two groups of people with such different perspectives over something as basic as food imagine two Corinthians uh, Christians sitting down uh, to eat together and the first one says well where did this meat come from and the second one said, well, I got it from such and such a stall in the market. And so the first one said, you've got to be kidding me. They sell meat that's been uh, offered to idols. We can't eat this. It'll contaminate us. Whereupon the one who bought the meat just starts tucking into it with relish just to show how much freedom he has. You can imagine uh, what that would do to the unity of the church. Now, later on, we'll look at our obligation to one another to preserve unity. But for the moment, let's just note uh, the tension that a situation like this would cause within the church. This is clearly a very divisive issue. So what is Paul's response? Well, in a nutshell, he says the libertines are abusing their freedom and the legalists are being too strict. So Paul acknowledges that idols are nothing. They're not gods at all. They're just lumps of wood or stone. They're merely uh, man-made objects of worship. Uh, But behind these fake gods are spiritual forces called demons. In other words, Paul is saying that idols are both unreal and all too real. And Paul uses the example of the Lord's Supper of communion. He says, if you drink the wine and eat the bread, you are participating in the body and blood of Christ. So for Paul, it's the participation uh, in these pagan rituals that is the problem. Paul is saying the meat itself is no big deal, but if you're offering that meat to idols, then that is a problem. Uh, In other words, we cannot blend Christianity with other religions and spiritual practices. Uh, in uh, West Africa and other parts of the world, but I've actually come across this in in West Africa. Um, Christianity is sometimes mixed with ancestral worship and other uh, religious practices, tribal religious practices. So someone will literally go to a witch doctor on the Saturday to try and get a cure for an illness or an ailment, and then they'll go to a church on the Sunday to pray for exactly the same thing. And we can't do that because if something is spiritual but not Christian, then according to the Apostle Paul, there are demonic forces behind it. So Paul is saying to the Corinthians, don't participate in pagan rituals, ceremonies and sacrifices. Don't go to the temple and sacrifice animals to idols. That's just not compatible with the Christian life. But he's also saying you don't have to avoid the meat that's been used in those practices altogether. The meat itself is not going to harm you. It's just meat. This is really important for the Corinthians because it keeps the door open uh, to a lot of social interaction with the world. It means they can go to the home of a non-Christian friend or relative and eat the meat without having to ask where it came from. You see, as Christians, we have to walk the line between being in the world but not of the world. Uh, Being in the world in terms of interacting with our non-Christian friends and relatives and work colleagues, but being distinct from the world, being noticeably different. And that's a challenge, to be distinct without coming across as holier than thou, without 
snubbing people, without cutting ourselves off from the world altogether. It's really important as Christians that we maintain friendships uh, with people outside of the church, because if we don't, we risk becoming hopelessly out of touch. We'll lose out on life-giving relationships, for example, with relatives who aren't Christians, and we won't have anyone to share our faith with. We won't have anyone to share the good news of Jesus with because everyone we know will be a Christian from our church. So the whole food offered to idols thing is not something we encounter, but there are all sorts of situations where we have to walk this line between being in the world, but not of the world. Let me give you an example. Um, My best friend from my time in the Royal Marines is now a Sergeant Major in the British SAS. And some years ago, he invited me to his stag night. He was getting married. And the question I had was this. I thought, well, as a Christian, can I go on this stag night without compromising my faith? Now, thinking back to the two opposing groups from the church in Corinth, uh, the Libertines and the Legalists, how do you think each of those would have uh, responded to my question? Well, I think the Libertines would say, you're free to do anything. Just go and enjoy yourself. And the legalist would say, well, you know what kind of a night that will be. You can't afford to have anything to do with that. In fact, you should probably just cut yourself off from that particular friend. So there's me me thinking, well, can I go on this stag night? And Tissa and I uh, spoke about it and we prayed about it and I put a lot of thought into it. And in the end, I decided that I could go. Uh, But I set my moral boundaries before I went. I I knew there were um, certain situations that would arise and I'd already decided beforehand how I was going to deal with those situations as and when they did arise. You know, often our moral failings are down to lack of preparation. Uh, We get caught off guard and swept along. It's so important that as Christians, we think about how we are going to deal with certain situations before we're actually in the situation when we're trying to deal with it. It's almost like we rehearse how we're going to deal with uh, temptations and challenges and difficulties we might face, uh, how we're going to express our faith to people outside of the church, how we're going to do these things. We need to think about it before we get there, because otherwise when we get there, we just won't have a clue what to do. Anyway, I was on this stag night and there was a certain point where my friend said, right, we're off to a strip club. And I said, well, you know, things have changed for me. I can't go in there. And he said, what are you talking about? David Stewie, come on, we're, we're going, let's go. And I said, look, mate, I'm a Christian. I can't go in there with you. If you want to do that, that's your business. I'll wait outside. And that's what I did. I waited outside. And a few weeks later at the wedding reception, there was a whole string of guys that wanted to talk to me about faith because they'd seen something distinctive, something real, something authentic. Now, I'm not holding myself up as the perfect example of a Christian, far from it. But I have learned from experience that when we retain our distinctiveness, we're a much more credible witness to the people around us. So we need to be in the world, but not of the world. But then Paul adds another dimension. He says, even though there are certain things that we're permitted to do, it's not always a good idea to do them. And this, of course, is with this issue of food offered to idols in mind. Paul says, you're free to eat the meat that's been sacrificed to idols, but don't abuse your freedom. 
Paul's argument is essentially about freedom. You know, in the first century, especially if you were Jewish or if you were a woman or if you were a slave, Christianity was incredibly liberating. A lot of uh, often in our culture it's deemed to be the opposite. A lot of people see Christianity as something that is uh, stuffy and stifling and restrictive. But the truth is, Christianity is liberating. No matter when or where you happen to live, Christianity is always liberating. Having this relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, as Christians, you've got a lot of freedom especially if you were previously bound by Jewish law, all these regulations about food and cleanliness. But he's also saying, don't abuse that freedom. The Corinthians said, I have the right to do anything. And Paul said, not everything beneficial, not everything's constructive. So Paul says, if you're with a Christian brother or sister who's struggling with a particular issue, don't flaunt your freedom. In this context, for the Corinthians, if you're sat down at someone's home, you're having a meal and your Christian brother or sister next to you is concerned where the meat has come from. They're concerned that it might have been offered to an idol and they fear, albeit mistakenly, that that meat can contaminate them. Then for their sake, don't eat the meat. Paul's saying in that situation, uh, eating the meat could damage the person's faith or even lead them astray. You know, sometimes we have to voluntarily restrict our freedom for the sake of other people. Uh, when we were in uh, Tottenham, there was a, a friend of ours, she was from Uganda, and she explained to me that when she first came to Tottenham and went to something the church had put on, she was shocked and horrified to see the vicar drinking a glass of wine. Uh, because uh, in Uganda, it was culturally inappropriate for Christians to drink alcohol. Uh, in the UK and here in Australia, I think most Christians will probably say that it's okay to drink in moderation. Uh, and I think Christians do have that freedom. After all, Jesus' first miracle was to turn water into wine. Uh, but if we're with someone who struggles with this for cultural reasons or because they're an alcoholic or for some other reason, uh, then it's better not to drink at all. We don't want to damage a person's faith or encourage them to do something uh, that they're not totally comfortable with. And of course, if there's something that isn't necessarily wrong, but I believe that it is wrong and I go ahead and do it, I'm, I'm consciously rebelling, aren't I? I mean, it's not, the, the thing itself is not wrong, but if I believe it is wrong and I just go, I think oh, I'll blow it and I just go ahead and do it, then I actually am sinning because I believe that I'm, turning away from the right choice. So let's summarize some of the things we've looked at today. Paul addressed the issue of food sacrifice to idols. Now, that's not a problem for us, but it was a major bone of contention in the Corinthian church. And his solution was basically this. He said, he told them not to have anything to do with idolatry. Don't participate in idol worship. Don't participate in uh, sacrificing animals to idols, all to do with the participation. But he also told them that they were free to eat any meat with a clear conscience, even meat that had been offered to idols, and they were free to uh, attend gatherings and uh, functions where this meat was served. In other words, Paul helped them to walk the line between being in the world but being distinct from the world. 
And for us too, whenever we face any kind of moral dilemma, especially when it's not something that's specifically addressed in Scripture, uh, in those situations, we need to find a way of interacting with the culture, interacting with the people around us, but without compromising our faith. We need to be in the world, but not of the world. But even when we've worked out where that line is, we don't just do things because we can. We have to think about the impact of our actions on other people, especially our Christian brothers and sisters. Now, sometimes that might mean refraining from something that isn't necessarily wrong in order that we don't cause someone to stumble. If you're out with a Christian who believes that it's wrong to drink alcohol, then don't drink alcohol. Going back to my previous example, uh, if Tissa had been uneasy about me going on that stag night, I wouldn't have gone. If you're out for lunch with someone who believes it's morally wrong to eat meat, go for a vegetarian option. There's no harm in that. Sometimes we need to sacrifice our freedom for the sake of not causing someone to stumble, for the sake of not causing someone to feel uncomfortable or awkward, uh, for the sake of not offending someone, basically for the sake of maintaining unity within the church. So the moral dilemmas or questions that we face are often very different uh, from the ones the Corinthians face. Sometimes they're exactly the same, but often they're very different. Uh, however, there is a Christian way to approach these questions. There's a Christian way of thinking. And so Paul's teaching to the Corinthians is just as relevant to us uh, in the 21st century as it was to his original audience in the first century. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge and we see it so clearly in the book of Corinthians that we are called to be different. Uh, we're not to live as the world lives, but we need to interact with the world. We have friendships with, with people outside of the church. We have family members outside of the church. Uh, we pray, Father, that you will help us as individuals and as a church to walk this line between being in the world but not being of the world. Father, help us to exercise our freedom and our conscience with wisdom and discernment and help us always to, to want to do your will and to make the decisions uh, that are pleasing to you. We pray that by your spirit, you will help us with this. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.